Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to 1030 Service. Go ahead and stand with me. We're going to start with a song that's a little bit more of a testimonial song. It's called Graves in the Gardens. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures the fame. I never enough Then you came along And put me back together And every desire Is now satisfied Here in your love Oh, oh there's this next part. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness. Listen, my failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all and you still call me friend. Cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Sing it out. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Yeah. 
Praise the Lord this morning. Well, amen, amen. Welcome in. Welcome to Lindsay Lane North. We are so glad to have you worshiping with us, whether that is in person or online. We are super glad to have you with us. In your bulletin, as you came in today, hopefully you received a connect card. On the initial post on social media or YouTube, you will find this digital connect card as well. Uh, this is our lifeline to you. We want to know, have record that you were here. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to hunt you down. We're not going to show up at dinner, those kind of things. We're not going to do any of that kind of stuff through the week. We just want to be able to touch base with you and let you know how glad we were to have you worship with us. But there is other purposes for this as well. We've got Got a place for prayer requests. We'd love to know as a staff how we can pray for you, as well as if there's any decision that you make for the Lord today, you can let us know that uh, as well. And so that's our Connect card. Um, but we also today, it's a very, very special day, um, not just because all of our softball team is wearing our softball shirts to celebrate our oh, illustrious 0-10 season. Um, <laughs> hey, but we came real close to that one win. We came real close. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, I digress. Uh, today is special because we get an opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper today as a church family. And so this is for anybody who has made a decision for Christ. You've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have been baptized. Uh, we would love for you to take the elements of the Lord's Supper. We'll tell you what to do with that in just a moment. So if I can get my guys to go ahead and make their way to the front, they're going to pass these out. And so I know that it's going to still be making their way, making its way as we sing. That's completely fine. We understand that. Um, but for everybody that has received Christ and that has been baptized, uh, this is for you. We want to be able uh, to worship the Lord with you in this way. And so, uh, so I hope that you would do that uh, as they come around. The scripture tells us this, that we are to let a man examine himself. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of prayer right now. And we're not going to take the elements just yet. We're gonna, we've worked that into our worship, an amazing vision from our worship pastor that we're excited about doing. And so we'll let you know when that time is. But if you will, uh, get the cup. And I will say that you can peel off that first layer of plastic there to get access to that wafer. If you peel off the tin full before that, you are in a mess, all right? So that layer of plastic first, uh, and then that tin full when it comes time to worship, um, that will help you out tremendously, okay? But let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts for what he has for us today. Father, God, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you're going to teach us, what you're going to do in this place. God, I pray that we would align our hearts with you right now. God, I pray if there's any sin in our life, there's anything that would separate us, God, from experience the full force, God, of your movement and your glory in this place. I pray that we would confess it right now as we prepare to take this supper to God, as we prepare to celebrate your death, burial, and resurrection and coming again. God, I pray that you would prepare us and we would prepare our hearts. Lord, we give you this time. We thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we continue, we just want to reiterate that... The altar's open. Take time and just align yourself with the Lord this morning. Confess sin and let's worship the Lord together.
says in Isaiah 53 and starting in verse 3 he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not verse 4 surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted in verse 5 let's read this together but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed.
how much you received. We've sang about the cross. We've sang about the sacrifice of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul, telling the church of Corinth, says, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he distributed it among his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then it says, in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, the fourth cup, the cup of redemption. And he said, this is the new covenant purchased in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat or drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know what that tells me, church? We don't just proclaim a cross. This Lord's Supper doesn't just proclaim the death of Christ. It doesn't just proclaim a cross, but it proclaims an empty tomb for those that are in Christ Jesus who have the victory. Father, be worshiped and glorified in this place today. God, let us draw near to you so that you may draw near to us. May you receive ultimate glory. In your name, we all pray in agreement. Amen. Sing this with us in the morning. In the morning that you rose, all of heaven had his bed, till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb of conquered dead. And the dead was from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who come to the Father are in
Let's pray together. God, we thank you for sending Jesus for us. Lord, we thank you for the blood that was shed on our behalf. And Lord, we, we glorify you. We praise your name because of who you are and, God, what you've done in our lives. Lord, we just pray that as we continue in worship and we open your word, I pray that you would speak. God, I know that you're here. I know that you inhabit the praises of your people. And so you're dwelling with us, Lord. And I just pray that you would have freedom to do what you want to do today. God, we surrender to you everything that we have. Change us, Lord. Make us more like you. Speak through Pastor Allen, Lord. And God, give us ears to hear. Soften our hearts. We're here for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Help and see. Amen. It's good, church. I'm telling you, it is that is good. That doesn't get you going. I don't know what will. Man, praise the Lord. Listen, if we had any kids uh, that participated in that, I know Cheryl was letting parents know. If there's any kids that, that want to exit out and go to children's church, they are back there. So if any of y'all that are welcome, obviously you're welcome to stay. But if you would like to do that, uh, any kids can be dismissed at this time. We appreciate joining with us in that, and we wanted to make that available for you. We are continuing our series entitled Storied. Storied. Uh, talking about parables of kingdom things. Matthew 13 is where we're going to be. You can turn there. Matthew 13 is where we're going to be. And Jesus spoke in parables often, but the first thing he spoke about, and the most often thing that he spoke about, was when he spoke on parables about the kingdom of God. God's sovereign activity in all creation resulting in all history, resulting in people being in a right relationship with him. This is the kingdom of God. Does every family have a storyteller in your family? Uh, in, in my life growing up, my mom was the storyteller in our family. Uh, my sister and I would harass her every time we were in the car. And I'm not really sure, like, we weren't, like, nighttime, bedtime story folks. We were, if we're driving in the car, there's nothing to do. Now, you know, our kids are on our cell phones and all the other stuff. But there was nothing else to do. So I was like, we would, we would just pester her all the time to tell us a story, tell us a story, tell us a story. And my mom lived a very eventful childhood. And so she would tell us stories about when she was growing up. I can remember the story of Jar Booty. You heard that right? Jar Booty. Jar Booty was a mythical creature that lived in a place that was dangerous for kids to go in a rock quarry. So we didn't want, they didn't want the kids to go. So my mom's grandmother made up a story of a creature that would get them. Come to find out there was a creature that would get them if they tried. It was a uh, feral hog that attacked my mom and my brother, my, my uncle, uh, one day when they had stayed out too late. I've heard stories of jar booty. I've heard stories of when my family was camping, when my, my mom and her family were camping, 
And they were warned not to put food out because it would attract bears. To which my uncle saw as a challenge. And he strode his saltwater taffy after everybody else had gone to bed all over the picnic area. And when they awoke in the middle of the night to my great-grandmother needing to go to the bathroom, which was obviously outside of the tent, they were amazed to find that an entire family of bears had moved in. Uh, to the to the campground. I can remember stories of that. I can remember stories of that she told of sledding down their road. It was on a hill, but their road, like where traffic is and exists, on a road on the t- on the top of a table, like they used the legs as to hold on to and went down a road. I can even remember when she told stories of kids that were taken to the hospital because they decided to make a bike path in their neighborhood. And in making that bike path, some of them got into some poison ivy and some of the boys thought it'd be a great idea to pretend like they had a piece of straw in their mouth and it locked down their esophagus. Now, when I was hearing these stories as a kid, I thought, awesome. As a parent now? I think, oh dear Lord, where were my grandparents? Like, where were they when these things were happening? The fact that I exist is nothing short of miraculous. I don't know what they were doing, right? But my mom had all of these types of stories. And the point is, a story sticks with you. I would venture as far as to say, you don't remember a lot of my messages. Ben, I know you do, but, but everybody else probably doesn't keep track of all that. But I bet you can remember some of the illustrations. Bet you can remember some of the stories that were told because stories connect with people in a way that pure information does not. And so Jesus, in talking about, talking in parables, he talked about the parable of the sower. This beginning of the kingdom, that the kingdom begins with a gospel seed that's sowed into good soil. The parable of the wheat and the weeds tells us of the separation of the kingdom. That there will be a time in the future in light of the harvest where the weeds and the wheats and the wheats, the wheat would be separated. And then we come to where we are today, the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. The common theme in these parables is the success of the kingdom. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is why did Jesus talk in parables? We know what the kingdom of God was and what he was trying to communicate. We talked about that last week. But what, why was he speaking in parables? Well, we're told that in Matthew 13. Let's look first at the secret of the kingdom. The secret of the kingdom, beginning in verse 10. Then the disciples came and they said to him, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, them, it has not been given. The disciples were probably gathered in Peter's home when they asked this question. And Jesus points outside to the crowd and says, To them it has not been given. 
For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. The calling of Isaiah's life, right? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. We've been through that as well. In our church. But Isaiah's calling was not an easy calling. In fact, it would galvanize the nation of Israel against God. Further against God. But listen what he says. He equates the people in that time to the people of Isaiah's time. And listen to what he says in verse 16. But blessed are your eyes and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Up until this time, when Jesus would communicate truth, he communicated in a very straightforward fashion. If you go back into Matthew 12 and earlier, you will see a lot of Jesus' discourses like the Sermon on the Mount, in which he presents a very straightforward approach to what he was trying to communicate to the people. But what you find, the closer you get to Matthew chapter 13, is there were a lot of opponents that began to oppose everything that Jesus talked about. Everywhere he went, there were skeptics. And so there's a clear transition in Matthew 13... And Jesus' disciples picked up on it. Jesus, why are you going from speaking very plainly now to talking in Aesop's fables, right? Why are you now communicating everything in the form of stories? And he tells them plainly. See, by this time, Jesus' popularity had begun, begun to grow. And when I say popularity, I don't mean that everybody was a fan of Jesus. What I mean is everybody wanted to see what Jesus was doing. Everybody wanted to see, hey, were you there at the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, did you see people gathered beside the Sea of Galilee? And did you hear all of the crazy things that Jesus said? My mind was blown. I wanted to be there. I, wanted, I want to see it. Hey, I don't want to miss it. Next time Jesus comes around, I'm not going to miss what he has to say. It was a spectacle. Jesus was saying things that nobody was saying. He was declaring truth that nobody had near the, the amount of hubris to, to, to proclaim. He was teaching scripture in a way that nobody had ever seen scripture taught. Many people knew the name of Jesus. Not everybody was a fan. Remember... The sum total of Jesus' following by the time the day of Pentecost came, after Jesus died and rose again, the sum total of his committed followers was 120 people. Roughly what we have in this room right now. 120 people were the sum total of Jesus' earthly ministry. These were who he invested in. 
So when you say that he was popular, it wasn't that everybody loved what Jesus was doing. In fact, many people, most people of the day, hated it because it went in direct opposition to everything they had learned. This is not what Rabbi so-and-so told me. This is not what Rabbi Gamaliel told me. This is not what Nicodemus preached last, last Saturday, right, on Sabbath. This is not the way things are supposed to be. He had developed quite a following, but most of that following came very cynical of heart. And many of the things that Jesus addresses as it gets closer to chapter 13 is he's addressing questions of the skeptics. The skeptics come to him with traps. The skeptics come to him to twist his words to try to get him to make a mistake. They want to undermine his ministry. And so Jesus makes a shift. A shift in the way that he begins to teach. Specifically, and that doesn't mean that everything he taught from then on out was was a parable, but there's a significant stylistic change in the way that Jesus talks specifically about the kingdom, right? And so Matthew... um, What happened was Jesus became a very divisive figure. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to bring peace. He said, I haven't come to bring peace. I've actually come to bring division. Now, what does he mean by that? Jesus didn't show up to make everybody feel better about themselves. Jesus didn't show up so that everybody would get along. Jesus showed up in time, space, history because we needed a savior. And the message that he preached was you're either for me or against me. And at this time, Jesus was a very polarizing Figure. The majority of the people that lived, unless your mom and them had been healed by Jesus or you, you know, you'd eaten some of the fish and the loaves or whatever, unless that had happened to you specifically, chances are you weren't a fan because it wasn't how you were raised. You had better raisins than to believe this crazy person from Nazareth of all places. Jesus was very divisive. And so what he says is that I am preaching, I am teaching in parables because those that will not believe have hardened their hearts. They've closed themselves off to anything that I would communicate. They have already accepted the foregone conclusion in their mind that I am not the Messiah. You see, because here's the problem, and C.S. Lewis poses this in a, in a debate, and I think it's brilliant, right? He says, there's an idea today. There's a moderate fandom of Jesus that says that we can believe that Jesus was a good teacher. He had some good ideas and good concepts, but we don't have to believe he's the Messiah. The problem with that idea is, if he's not who he says he is, then that unsubstantiates everything about him. Let me ask you this. Is a liar a good teacher? But many people of the day thought that Jesus was a liar. He is an outright fool. 
He is lying, he is spreading his lies, and he is deceiving people saying that he is the Messiah. He's a liar. And how can a liar be a good teacher? Yet there were other people that said, man, the dude's just crazy. He thinks he can take Old Testament passage and speak with authority on Old Testament things. He's a lunatic. He's crazy. The cheese has fallen off the cracker. He's off his rocker, right? He's a few fries short of a Happy Meal. He's a lunatic. But man, somebody that's crazy can't be a good teacher. But then there were some. He said, no. Jesus isn't a liar. He sure isn't crazy. There were some even... In this time in his ministry, who believed him humbly in faith. Listen, the disciples got the same elementary training that the rabbis got. They knew the scripture. They knew what the Messiah was supposed to look like. He was going to be this big military hero. He was going to be born to a lot of power. He was going to lead the country. He was going to lead them against the Romans. He was going to set them free. This was what the Messiah was going to be. They had the same training, but instead of holding in pride so closely to what they believed or what they were taught, they recognized that what Jesus had was the words of truth. You remember what he told Peter? He just told people that, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to eat my, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's a great way to get people to go on and exit out, Right? It's a great exit strategy for your ministry. <laughs> hey, <laughs> cannibalize me and you can be my disciple, right? <laughs> Later. That's what happened. And, and Peter actually came to him and said, Jesus, this is a difficult saying. You know what Peter told him? Peter, or, or Jesus told him, he said, hey, Peter, there's the door. Are you going to leave? And he said, where else would I go? You have the words of life. He recognized that it was difficult, but in his humility, he chose to believe. He chose to have faith. And so in God's kingdom, humility in faith is greater than pride and fulfillment. There were a lot of men that had accomplished a lot of Bible drill things in that day. I mean, they were scholars. They were knowledgeable. They had really risen the ranks in the ranks of of what it meant to be an Israelite and what to be a Jew. But in God's kingdom, it's better to have humility and faith than pride in whatever you've accomplished or fulfilled. There is a foolishness about the gospel. It is. There is a foolishness about the gospel that requires us to have faith. Now, many think that is checking your brain at the door. All right, if you walk into church, if you're going to believe some of the babble that the pastor's going to preach, you got to check your brain at the door. And what I would argue to you is you don't have to check your brain as much as you have to check your ego. It's not a heart. It's a heart issue. And so you have to check your pride. These people had accomplished too much. They'd gone too far that path. They could not accept him as Messiah. And so in these parables, the gospel secrets were hidden away. What did Jesus do? He got smaller. 
He focused on a few. And we see that bear out in these next two parables. So that's the secret of the kingdom. The secret of the kingdom is those that have the Holy Spirit can discern these. But those that have hardened their heart in disbelief and in pride, there there is no longer understanding in this. And short of them coming to the end of themselves and responding in faith and obedience and and allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work in their life, they're going to remain in darkness. But number two, because there's success in the kingdom. Sure, it's secret. There's a secret about it. But there's success in the kingdom as well. Matthew 13, verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. Now, there's two hermeneutical things that we have to understand. Two things as we study God's word that we need to understand about this. Number one, a mustard seed is not the smallest seed in the world. It's not. It's a very small seed. You can buy, buy some at the grocery store. It's a very small seed, but it is not the smallest seed in the world, yet Jesus calls it the smallest seed. What is he doing? Do you know how raised in rural North Alabama we have some peculiar sayings? Like, I knew that kid when he was knee-high to a duck. Or, man, she ain't as big as a minute. Heard those things? This is exactly what Jesus is doing here. The mustard seed was a symbol for super small things in that day. And so in that culture to say, man... That kid is as small as a mustard seed. Like that was a common vernacular in Jesus' culture. And so he was just meeting the people in that culture. He said, the mustard seed, look at this mustard seed. It's the smallest of all the seeds. Meaning whoever would associate with this mustard seed is associating with very, very insignificant things. And then he says, and it grows into a great tree. Hang on. A mustard seed does not grow into a giant tree. In fact, it grows into a very small tree. In fact, it's more in the shrub department. It grows anywhere from four to six. The tallest ones reach maybe 12 foot. A very small plant. Now, I love what the ESV does in this translation because it doesn't just say it grows into the biggest of trees. But it says it grows into the biggest of garden plants. If you were to have a garden at your house and you were to set up all of your spices that you would use in Jewish culture, most people would plant a mustard seed. You want a mustard plant in that crop. And of all the other crops that you would grow, many a time people probably believe, believe, scholars believe, that Jesus was probably saying these things and people in the distance could see mustard plants growing in people's homes or across the countryside. It was the largest of the garden plants. It would tower over everything else you had. And it's possible that among the largest of them, a bird could land in them. Right? But this is not the point of what we're tracking. The point is there is a great size discrepancy from the beginning of the life of a mustard plant to its end. And from a very humble beginning, there is a significant growth that happens 
right? Once the plant is matured, there is a significant size difference. Have you ever been somewhere as a kid and in your mind, it is the biggest place you've ever been? Or you've been to some place, maybe it's high up, and you're like, man, this is the highest thing I've ever been to, right? And then only to go as an adult and the magic is gone. You ever been there? Like, this is Chuck E. Cheese for everybody, all right? Can you, can you, do you remember the first time you walked into Chuck E. Cheese and you crossed that turnstile and you turned and it was an eternity of fun? I mean, it was just the greatest thing that you've ever seen. They're the only way, that, the only thing that kept it from being just pure heaven was the creepiness of the mascot, right? Like, if it could just be anything other than a rodent, we would be okay. But it's not. It's a mouse. It's Chuck E. Cheese, right? And so he walks around creeping up the joint. But that's fine because this place is jam up for a kid. And then you go as a parent. And I'm convinced of this. If you want to solve all of the problems with today's youth, don't sentence them to jail or to the D-home or any of these other things incarcerate them in Chuck E. Cheese. Make them serve as Chuck E. Cheese, right? Make them serve the pizza for the nagging moms and the kids that are whining and can't be pleased. Make them go and retrieve the Band-Aids from the ball pit, right? Like, if you want to solve things, just put them there. Everything's taken care of. You go as an adult and you're like, man, this place is ratchet. This is a hot mess of a place. This is a racket, right? This place, I am going to spend a ton of money and I am getting nothing in return. The magic's gone. What Jesus was doing was he was comparing that little bitty seed to this big old plant. And this is the disparity that he's trying to create. Why? Because think about it. In Jesus' day, those that would put their faith and trust in him, it was small. I mean, even at the end of his ministry, there was 120. There wasn't 120 by this point, we don't believe. Right? These were small numbers. These were lean statistics. And he's telling his 12 disciples, hey, don't lose heart at the mustard seed beginning. Because it's going to germinate. It's going to take root in a great plant, a great seed-producing, fruit-producing tree will take its place. So don't scoff at the small beginnings, right? The proud would never stoop so low as to be engaged in the mustard seed beginnings of the kingdom of God. But that is the point, my friend. Jesus was saying it won't be like this forever. And true, and in truth, today we went from 120 people to now Jesus is celebrated on every continent. Every single continent. There are people groups that have not heard, so we need to go. But there, but on every single continent, there is activity in the kingdom of heaven. It's grown into a significant enterprise for the kingdom of God. But more than just a reflection of number, it was a reflection of the growth within the individual, right? God was taking people of insignificance and he was creating within them significance. He was giving them platform to do significant things for the kingdom of God. Jesus used some extremely underqualified people. So much so that the only thing they could say that was significant about them is in Acts chapter 4, they said, these people are dumb. 
These people are uneducated. These people are unlearned. These people are insignificant. But man, we can tell they've been with Jesus. This was the point. Mustard seed beginnings. But the success would see it producing fruit into a great tree. In God's kingdom, insignificance does not equal ineffectiveness. If you feel insignificant in this place, get in line. I've heard one particular time uh, I was, we were getting everything ready for this, this church plant in this building. And I knew that I had an air blower that I could blow some of the, the stuff that we had weed-eated and, and, and done a whole bunch of stuff. There was leaves and there was grass all over the front here. And I was like, man, I got to make this look better. And so I get my, my blower and I get a couple extension cords and I come out here and I start blowing off the, uh, the parking lot until I realize, man, I do not have enough tools to pull this off. I end up connecting about 85 <laughs> extension cords from that outlet right there run it through that door in order to get there. And let me tell you, that was a frustrating night for me. And I, I, hear, I, I saw somewhere where there was a text message or social media or something, and somebody was like, I saw Pastor Allen, um, you know, blowing off the thing. And I just, it's, it's so encouraging to me to be a part of a church that their pastor would be willing to do anything. What they didn't know is in that evening, I, not only was I willing to do anything, I was also willing to say anything. I was frustrated. I was really upset, right? What I was doing was a pretty insignificant task in my mind, but it had significance to somebody. Man, there are so many things that we write off in our life. We write off in routine obedience because we see them as insignificant. We see a daily time spending in God's word and in prayer. We see it as insignificant, so we don't make it an intentional part of our life. We see things like incorporating God in conversations with our lost co-workers as insignificant things. But the problem is, in God's kingdom, insignificance does not equal ineffectiveness. God can use our ordinary obedience to bring supernatural increase. If we're just willing, and there is nothing more ordinary than obedience. Just being obedient to God. All he needs is a surrendered heart. That's all God needs. That's all he requires is a surrendered heart. Thirdly and finally, I want to look at the scandal of the kingdom. Because we see the same success mirrored, but we see something a little different in the parable of 11. Look at verse 33. He told them another parable. And the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So, being that I am who I am, I made us some bread. I don't recommend eating this, but it made dough and it did do what I wanted it to do. This right here, is the amount of flour that I used and materials that I used to make this dough, this bread. This is the exact amount that I used. The difference is there's something missing in this one 
as compared to this one. Now, if you know baking any at all, you know that I've added something to this to get to this. Now, this would have been more impressive had my 10-year-old not decided to smack the loaf early this morning and stick his finger in it. It would have been a lot more impressive, but you know, when you're a pastor with kids, sometimes your illustrations suffer, okay? But as you can see, there is a significant more much more significant on this side than it is this one. But what you learn, the only difference between the two is that right there. It's just a very small packet of yeast. Yeast is a fungus. Think about that the next time you eat a sandwich. Yeast is a fungus. And you incorporate it in your mixture of dough in order that the dough would ferment. And as it ferments, it swells, making your fluffy loaf of bread. This is how yeast works. And it doesn't take much, as in Jesus' parable, a very insignificant amount of yeast can leaven a ton of material. They would know, in in the culture, they would know that what Jesus was talking about, three measures, would be enough to feed an entire party of people. So a woman was making a ton of bread for a lot of folks, and she only used a little bit of leaven, but it leavened the entire lump from insignificance comes significance. It's growth. It's success. But I believe it's more than that. Everywhere else in Scripture where leaven is mentioned, it is mentioned with negative connotations. Dating all the way back to the Passover, when the people left, and they left in such a hurry from Egypt that they couldn't allow the bread to rise, so they didn't even bother putting leaven in it. They didn't bother putting yeast in it to give it time to rise. They just left. They left quickly, and they made whatever they could real fast, and they left. And from that point on, sin became synonymous with leaven. And so whenever you hear leaven, in fact, other places, Jesus actually says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. There's a little bit of it, but it is ruining everything. Everywhere else it's mentioned in Scripture, it's given negative connotation. Let me explain how crazy of an illustration this is for Jesus to use. It would be like saying the kingdom of God spreads like decay. It spreads like cancer or an ulcer. It spreads and it rots everything. Let me go a step further. Imagine somebody was planning a church today. And you drive by and you see the sign, and this is what the sign says. Come to such and such church. You know, churches that you can't tell if it's a retail store or a church, right? Come to such and such church. We're going to spread like COVID. Can you imagine that? Reckon you get some phone calls, some prospects. 
fill up a planning center database. We're going to start a church and we're going to start a work and it's going to be so successful it's going to catch on like COVID. That's exactly what Jesus said. For a Jew, leaven is synonymous with sin and decay. Why in the world would a man be so stupid to associate what he was doing that he wanted people to get on board with by calling it leaven? He's crazy. But the movement of Christianity didn't just have seemingly insignificant roots. It wasn't just small in size. It had contemptible roots. Alan, what do you mean by that? When you start a movement filled with tax collectors, probably the most socially hated people of the day, former prostitutes, former demon-possessed folks, and every other type of social outcast and misfit, you are not doing yourself any favors in accumulating a big crowd. In fact, you are accumulating a crowd that nobody wants any part of. But this is exactly who Jesus chose. There were the Pharisees, there were the scribes, there were the people of high reputation all over the place that Jesus could have chosen. But their hearts were too hardened in their pride and all that they had fulfilled. They were too hardened to receive the very plain and simplistic understanding of who the Messiah was. And it stuck in their crawl that Jesus would choose a band, a ragtag band of vagabonds to lead his kingdom, to begin his kingdom work. Mustard seed, leaven growing into great things. But what we find about Jesus in your notes is that in God's kingdom, redemption is greater than reputation. Do you know what made Matthew significant? Do you know what made Mary Magdalene significant? Do you know what made these plain, ordinary fishermen significant? It was not the reputation that they had accumulated in this earth. All of that had fallen flat. Do you know what's significant about them? the redemption that they experienced being with Jesus. That's what was significant. Y'all, it is a scandal. It is a scandal that Jesus would use the most broken, the most insignificant, the most ratchet people to perform the greatest things for his kingdom simply because that person was crazy enough to surrender it all to him. They held loosely enough to the things of this world that they were able to be used for eternal things that really matter. So it's not just growth. It's not just success. It's scandal. And you know what? 
that same scandal is offered to you as well. I don't care what you've come in here with. I don't care what you're like. I don't care the lifestyle that you live. I, I, don't, I don't care any of those things. Do you know what I care about? I care about whether you have, that you have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't expect you to be clean. I don't expect you to have put your life back together. I don't expect any of those things. And Jesus doesn't either because he knows he's the only one that can do that. What he asks for is your heart. All he needs is something as insignificant as your surrendered heart. And if you would give that over to him, if you would surrender your life to him, he can use you in unthinkable ways. This is his kingdom. This is the way it works. It's certainly not how I would have gone about it, but it's exactly what he is letting his people know. Be encouraged by these words. We're starting small, but we are growing to great things. You may think that you have everything in the world to disqualify you, but I have made you qualified through my blood. Man, what an amazing, amazing truth. And so with every head bow and eye closed in this room, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to that message. All he needs is a surrendered heart. That's the seed that he needs. That's the mustard seed that he needs to do great things. He can change your heart and he can change your life. He can change your situation that you're in. If you're willing to just let go of it, goodness, gracious. You've been trying for a long time. How's that worked for you? Let God change your life. Come and join. Receive the foolishness of God. It can't be that easy, Pastor. To that I would say you need to humble yourself. And you need to respond in faith. This is exactly what we see communicated in God's word. I'm not asking you to understand it. I'm asking you to believe it. It's not about checking your mind. It's about checking your ego. Maybe you in here today need to respond for the very first time to a relationship with Jesus. That's going to take some, it's going to take some courage. It's going to take you getting up maybe in this group of people coming to down this center aisle talking to me here at the front we've got counselors that would love to talk to you that's going to take work that's going to take effort and matter of fact in your mind right now you may be struggling with some of those thoughts would you humble yourself get over yourself and respond to all that God offers you today taste and see Experience the kingdom of God in your life. Father, have your will and way in your people. I pray for the one that needs to respond to you in salvation. I pray for the one that needs to respond to you in any other way. I pray for the one that may just need to do business with you here at this altar. Maybe they have a loved one they need to pray for. Maybe, maybe they, it's their own junk that they're carrying they need to confess to you. 
But God, this altar is open. This time of response is for them, for the one that needs to be saved, for the one that needs to join what we're doing here at North, for the one that needs to recommit their life or be baptized or whatever the case may be. I pray that they would respond to you, that we would get out of the stinking way and let's see you move in our life when we do. Father, we love you. Be glorified in this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet? As we sing, would you respond? Would you respond? We'd love to talk to you about any decision you need to make, but would you come as we sing? I hear the Savior sing Thy strength indeed is small Child of weakness, watch and pray Find in me thine all in all Is Jesus paid it all And all to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as what are you waiting on? If that's you, you need to do business. Would you do it now? Would you move now? Lord, now indeed I find Thy power and Thine alone Can change the leper's spots And melts the heart of stone Jesus paid it all, and all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. This invitation continues. soul to sing, my lips shall still repeat. Give him glory to our praise, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. My sin, my sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Father, we thank you so much for the movement of your spirit here in this place. Lord, I pray for the one that for whatever reason didn't respond to you today. God, I pray they wouldn't leave this place without letting somebody know about the decision that they've made or that they need to make today. I pray for the one that may be listening on live stream. God, I pray that they would find that connect card, that they would let us know about whatever decision that they've made so that we can follow up with them on that. We can help nurture and walk with them as they take their next steps in you. God, and I pray that we would all do that. 
we take that next step of obedience, whatever that means, whatever that looks like, however insignificant it may seem, God, we pray that you would use it in powerful ways. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all check out these announcements and we'll be closed. Good morning, North family. I've got a few things for you before we leave today. It's that time of year again, and our home group signups are now open and are filling up fast. So if you've been looking for a way to grow your faith and build relationships, please consider joining a group. There are multiple options that you can find uh, the right one that's good for you. So stop by the table in the foyer uh, to sign up or scan the QR code in your bulletin. Next, we're having North 101 on August 29th. North 101 is for anyone interested in joining Lindsay Lane North or simply wanting to learn more about our church. This is led by Pastor Allen and Pastor Will. They'll take you through what we believe as a church, our vision, our membership details, and we'll also open up the floor for any questions that you have about the church. So if there's something you've been curious about, it's a great way to find answers. There's no obligation to become a member by attending North 101, so whether you're interested in joining Lindsay Lane North or just want to learn more about us, and we encourage you to come and consider signing up today. And finally, we're looking for volunteers to help us with serving in the football concession stand at Oakmont High School this fall. Our first date is August 27th. You can sign up by scanning the QR code in the bulletin or at the next steps table. Please consider being a blessing right here in our community. That's all I've got for you guys. Y'all have a great day, and we'll see you next time. All right, thank you, Pastor Joseph. Thank you all for joining us. It's always good to see you. I'm going to be honest with you, at 8.30 this morning, whenever I saw Pastor Allen walk in with this, I was very concerned that he might have heard the feedback on the styrofoam saltines and given us something different. Um, and I was, I was very concerned about that. But uh, thankfully, that is not what happened. Uh, so, so, man, I'm happy about that. Uh, this is the time where we do our offering uh, and, and our tithes. If you are a guest with us today, you should know we never ask our guests to give financially. Uh, but if you are a member, we ask that you drop your offering and tithes in the bucket on the way out. You can use the envelopes in the chair backs in front of you. There's two other ways you can give. You can text North Give to 31996. You can give online at lindsaylanenorth.org. Those of you watching online, thanks for tuning in. You can always give to the address at the bottom of the screen as well. If you are a guest, drop your Connect card in the bucket on the way out. Stop by, sign up for home groups. Man, sign-ups have been hot the last week. We're excited about all the folks that have already signed up and excited about all the folks that are about to sign up as well. So stop by for info on that. And always, you got the QR code you can scan on the back of the bulletins. It can get you to sign up for any of our groups, service teams, or a men's and women's group, which the men's group is meeting tonight at Conrad's house. So stop by Next Steps for any questions on any of that. Have a great week. May God be glorified in us in the community and for the community. Y'all are dismissed.